This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. This reading is by Graham Redman. The Chronicles of Clovis Short Stories by Saki The Hounds of Fate In the fading light of a close dull autumn afternoon, Martin Stoner plodded his way along muddy lanes and rut-seamed cart-tracks that led he knew not exactly whither. Somewhere in front of him, he fancied, lay the sea, and towards the sea his footsteps seemed persistently turning. Why he was struggling wearily forward to that goal he could scarcely have explained, unless he was possessed by the same instinct that turns a hard-pressed stag cliffward in its last extremity. In his case the hounds of fate were certainly pressing him with unrelenting insistence. Hunger, fatigue, and despairing hopelessness had numbed his brain, and he could scarcely summon sufficient energy to wonder what underlying impulse was driving him onward. Stoner was one of those unfortunate individuals who seemed to have tried everything. A natural slothfulness and improvidence had always intervened to blight any chance of even moderate success, and now he was at the end of his tether, and there was nothing more to try. Desperation had not awakened in him any dormant reserve of energy. On the contrary, a mental torpor grew up round the crisis of his fortunes. With the clothes he stood up in, a halfpenny in his pocket, and no single friend or acquaintance to turn to, with no prospect either of a bed for the night or a meal for the morrow, Martin Stoner trudged stolidly forward, between moist hedgerows and beneath dripping trees, his mind almost a blank, except that he was subconsciously aware that somewhere in front of him lay the sea. Another consciousness obtruded itself now and then, the knowledge that he was miserably hungry. Presently he came to a halt by an open gateway that led into a spacious and rather neglected farm-garden. There was little sign of life about, and the farmhouse at the further end of the garden looked chill and inhospitable. A drizzling rain, however, was setting in, and Stoner thought that here perhaps he might obtain a few minutes' shelter and buy a glass of milk with his last remaining coin. He turned slowly and wearily into the garden, and followed a narrow flagged path up to a side door. Before he had time to knock, the door opened, and a bent, withered-looking old man stood aside in the doorway, as though to let him pass in. "'Could I come in out of the rain?' Stoner began. But the old man interrupted him. "'Come in, Master Tom. I knew you would come back one of these days.' Stoner lurched across the threshold, and stood staring uncomprehendingly at the other. "'Sit down while I put you out a bit of supper,' said the old man, with quavering eagerness. Stoner's legs gave way from very weariness, and he sank inertly into the armchair that had been pushed up to him. 
In another minute he was devouring the cold meat, cheese, and bread that had been placed on the table at his side. "'You'm little change these four years,' went on the old man, in a voice that sounded to Stoner as something in a dream, far away and inconsequent. "'But you'll find us a deal changed, you will. There's no one about the place same as when you left, naught but me and your old aunt. I'll go and tell her that you'm come. She won't be seeing you, but she'll let you stay right enough. She always did say if you was to come back you should stay, but she'd never set eyes on you or speak to you again. The old man placed a mug of beer on the table in front of Stoner, and then hobbled away down a long passage. The drizzle of rain had changed to a furious lashing downpour, which beat violently against door and windows. The wanderer thought with a shudder of what the seashore must look like under this drenching rainfall, with night beating down on all sides. He finished the food and beer, and sat numbly waiting for the return of his strange host. As the minutes ticked by on the grandfather clock in the corner, a new hope began to flicker and grow in the young man's mind. It was merely the expansion of his former craving for food and a few minutes' rest into a longing to find a night's shelter under this seemingly hospitable roof. A clattering of footsteps down the passage heralded the old farm servant's return. "'The old missus won't see you, Master Tom, but she says you are to stay. "'Tis right enough, seeing the farm will be yours when she be put under earth. "'I've had a fire lit in your room, Master Tom, and the maids has put fresh sheets onto the bed. "'You'll find naught changed up there. Maybe you'm tired and would like to go there now.' Without a word, Martin Stoner rose heavily to his feet, and followed his ministering angel along a passage, up a short creaking stair, along another passage, and into a large room lit with a cheerfully blazing fire. There was but little furniture, plain, old-fashioned, and good of its kind, a stuffed squirrel in a case, and a wall calendar of four years ago were about the only symptoms of decoration but Stoner had eyes for little else than the bed, and could scarce wait to tear his clothes off him before rolling in a luxury of weariness into its comfortable depths. The hounds of fate seemed to have checked for a brief moment. In the cold light of morning, Stoner laughed mirthlessly as he slowly realised the position in which he found himself. Perhaps he might snatch a bit of breakfast on the strength of his likeness to this other missing ne'er-do-well, and get safely away before anyone discovered the fraud that had been thrust on him. In the room downstairs he found the bent old man ready with a dish of bacon and fried eggs for Master Tom's breakfast, while a hard-faced elderly maid brought in a teapot and poured him out a cup of tea. As he sat at the table, a small spaniel came up, and made friendly advances. "'Tis old Bowker's pup,' explained the old man, whom the hard-faced maid had addressed as George. "'She was main fond of you, 
but never seemed the same after you went away to Australia. She died bout a year agone. Tis her pup. Stoner found it difficult to regret her decease. As a witness for identification, she would have left something to be desired. "'You'll go for a ride, Master Tom?' was the next startling proposition that came from the old man. "'We've a nice little roan cob that goes well in saddle. Old Biddy is getting a bit up in years, though her goes well still, but I'll have the little roan saddled and brought round to door.' "'I've got no riding things.' stammered the castaway, almost laughing as he looked down at his one suit of well-worn clothes. "'Master Tom,' said the old man earnestly, almost with an offended air, "'all your things is just as you left them. A bit of airing before the fire, and they'll be all right. Twill be a bit of a distraction like, a little riding and wild fowling now and again.' You'll find the folk around here has hard and bitter minds towards you. They hasn't forgotten nor forgiven. No one'll come nigh you, so you'd best get what distraction you can with horse and dog. They'm good company, too. Old George hobbled away to give his orders, and Stoner, feeling more than ever like one in a dream, went upstairs to inspect Master Tom's wardrobe. A ride was one of the pleasures dearest to his heart, and there was some protection against immediate discovery of his imposture in the thought that none of Tom's aforetime companions were likely to favour him with a close inspection. As the interloper thrust himself into some tolerably well-fitting riding cords, he wondered vaguely what manner of misdeed the genuine Tom had committed to set the whole countryside against him. The thud of quick, eager hoofs on damp earth cut short his speculations. The roan cob had been brought